0: Matthew's Gospel, uh, Matthew chapter 4, uh, it's on page 968 in the Chapel Bibles, uh, and I'm actually going to start a bit earlier than I, than I put in the bulletin, I'm going to start from verse 12 and just go from there, and uh, it's going to read from verse 12 to the end of the chapter. So page 968, if you've got a Chapel Bible, Matthew chapter 4. And reading from verse 12. And uh, we've, we started this little series um, up till Easter of looking at people who encountered Jesus and how Jesus uh, you know, affected their lives and changed their lives. And our focus this morning is uh, Simon and Andrew. So Matthew 4 verse 12. When Jesus heard that John had been put in prison, he returned to Galilee. Leaving Nazareth, he went and lived in Capernaum which was by the lake in the area of Zebulun and Naphtali, to fulfil what was said through the prophet Isaiah. Land of Zebulun and land of Naphtali, the way to the sea along the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles, the people living in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of the shadow of death, a light has dawned. From that time on, Jesus began to preach, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is near. As Jesus was walking beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon called Peter and his brother Andrew. They were casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come, follow me, Jesus said, and I will make you fishers of men. At once they left their nets and followed him. Going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John, they were in a boat with their father Zebedee preparing their nets. Jesus called them and immediately they left the boat and their father and followed him. Jesus went throughout Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease and sickness among the people. News about him spread all over Syria and people brought to him all who were ill with various diseases, those suffering severe pain, the demon possessed those having seizures, and the paralysed, and he healed them. Large crowds from Galilee, the Decapolis, Jerusalem, Judea, and the region across the Jordan followed him. Father, thank you for your word, living and active, sharper than a double-edged sword. Uh, May our hearts and minds be open and attentive again this morning uh, to hear your voice. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So I want to start with a, just a little bit of a, sort of backstory and a bit of context because sometimes, as I'm preparing in a week, I, I sort of I, I sit down and, and look at the passage and start praying about it, and then my, my sort of mind veers off on a on a bit of a tangent. Or <laughs> so, so I just sat down this week, looking at the passage, and uh, and I think, well, how do we know? How do we know that this is true? How do we know that Jesus walked along? Uh, uh, beside the Sea of Galilee and met these two brothers? How, how can we be confident that what we read in the Gospels is, you know, it, it's, it's history, it's eyewitness testimony. How can we be confident that it's, you know, it's not made up? Uh, and so that was sort of sparked my, my mind, which sort of went off. And, uh, and, and the first thing that I thought was that when, when Matthew is sitting writing his Gospel... Um, as Luke had, when Luke was writing his gospel, they both had a copy of Mark's gospel in front of them. And uh, when Matthew and Luke write their gospels, uh, we know that they've got a, a copy of Mark's gospel in front of them uh, because they plagiarise very heavily. Uh, these days, you sort of get into trouble for plagiarism. Only at university, you get into trouble. You have to run all your essays through a, through software that spots whether or how much you've plagiarised. And I remember at school once writing, a, we had an English essay that was set. Uh, and I went to the library and I found this book. And it had a chapter in the book that had exactly the same title as the essay that we had to write. And I thought it was a very obscure book uh, that my teacher would never have seen. So I just copied out the chapter of the book. I think I changed one word and handed it in. And sadly, my teacher had read the book and, uh, and called me out in front of the whole class. And said, was any of this your work? And I said, well, I did change one word. But anyway, <laughs> plagiarism is not a good thing. But Matthew and Luke plagiarized very heavily. And, um, and so Matthew's, this, uh, this account, is just ripped out of Mark's gospel. So just look at um, uh, verse, uh, verse 18. Matthew chapter 4, verse 18. Just look at that. And I'm going to read from Mark's gospel, chapter 1, verse 16. Uh, as Jesus walked beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and his brother Andrew casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come, follow me, Jesus said, and I will make you fishers of men. At once they left their nets and followed him. So Matthew's just he's literally copied it out of Mark's gospel. Often, what, often Matthew and Luke, they'll copy just word for word. Sometimes they'll, they'll, add, they'll make slight changes and sometimes they'll clarify things, uh, but, they, uh, but they do it a lot. So... So Matthew's writing this account based on what Mark has written. So we need to sort of think, well, well, who is Mark? And where does Mark get his, his information from? And we know that uh, Mark was involved uh, in the life of the church from the very earliest time, from the very earliest days. Mark travels uh, with Paul on some of his missionary journeys. Uh, in fact, in Acts chapter 15, uh, the end of the chapter... Um, uh, paul has a falling out with Mark because Paul feels that Mark has let him down, and uh, so we read the end of Acts chapter fifteen sometimes later, Paul said to Barnabas, "Let us go back and visit the brothers and sisters in all the towns where we preach the Word of the Lord and see how they 're doing. Barnabas wanted to take John, also called Mark with them, but paul didn 't think it was wise to take him because he had deserted them in Pamphylia and had not continued. With them in the world. I love that. You know, the writer of one of the Gospels is, uh, you know, he doesn't always get it right. And, uh, you know, he's had a season where he's, he's let Paul down, and Paul says, Well, I'm not taking him with him, he's not very reliable. They had such a sharp disagreement that they parted company. Barnabas took Mark and sailed for Cyprus, but Paul chose Silas and left, commended by the brothers to the grace of the Lord. So we see Mark there. So Mark works with alongside Paul until they have a falling out and go their separate ways. But Mark is also taken under Peter's wing and uh, becomes a disciple of Simon Peter. Uh, At the end of Peter's first letter, 1 Peter chapter 5, he puts some greetings in at the end of his letter, as they often do. And uh, he writes 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 13, she who is in Babylon, which um, means Rome, chosen together with you, sends you her greetings, and so does my son Mark. So Peter has such a close relationship with Mark that he describes him as his son. So when we read Mark's gospel, scholars believe that it's it's the first-hand testimony of Peter. So Mark was you know, Mark heard it firsthand from Peter, and basically writes down what he's heard. And Mark's gospel, it, there's no finesse about Mark's gospel. Uh, he just writes everything in a rush. He doesn't think about it. It's just like this happened, this happened, this happened. And there's a lovely little, um, there's a lovely little couple of verses towards the end of Mark's gospel, uh, which scholars think are a nod to the fact that Mark wrote it. So in Mark's gospel, Mark chapter 15. Uh, there are two verses, 51 and 52, where we read this. It's the, in the Garden of Gethsemane. Uh, Jesus has been arrested. And, um, and then we read, a young man wearing nothing but a linen garment was following Jesus. When they seized him, he fled naked, leaving his garment behind. It's, it's a completely incidental detail. Is completely irrelevant to the story. If you take those two verses out, it changes nothing. And you think, well, why are they in there? What's, what is the point? Well, the scholars think, well, this young man was Mark. And it's a little kind of autobiographical note to say that I was there. I was, I was in the garden. This, this, was, this was me. I was the young man who ran away. And the fact that that little incidental detail is there... Goes a long way to assuring us that the Gospels are history and first hand testimony and not fiction. Because in the ancient world, fiction wasn't written like this. Uh, the scholar C.S. Lewis, who spent his whole career studying ancient texts, says that if the Gospels are fiction, then they are unique in the writings of the ancient world, fictional writings in the ancient world. They're a style that has no precedent in the ancient world and that doesn't come into being until the 18th century. So if it's fiction, it's bizarre because there's no precedent for it and it's not repeated for another 18th century because fiction in the ancient world was very it was very broad brush and very <coughs> lacking in detail and didn't include little details about a young man running off naked. You only write that if it actually happened. If it's history, if it's eyewitness testimony so that's a very long way uh, uh, of getting around to saying that we can be confident that Jesus was walking on a beach in Galilee and bumped into Simon and Andrew and that this is history and that he met with them and changed their lives. So let's get to Matthew chapter 4. Sorry, a little bit of diversion. But it's helpful sometimes, isn't it, to, to ask that question, how do we know? How can we be confident that the gospel records are true? Well, there are very good reasons for believing the gospel records are true. Jesus is walking beside the Sea of Galilee. He saw two brothers, Simon called Peter and his brother Andrew. Do you know that just to note with, when Mark writes it, Mark just says he calls them Simon and Andrew. But when Matthew's writing, he puts in, this is Simon called Peter. Just to, to clarify exactly who this Simon is. In Matthew's gospel, Simon doesn't get called Peter until chapter 16. He's just Simon. That's what Mark writes, but, but Matthew just adds in that little thing. You know, it's Simon called Peter, just so people know, oh, yeah, this is who we're, this is who we're talking about. The lovely thing about this is that, that they, uh, they know something about Jesus. They've heard some of the stories about Jesus. In Mark's Gospel, because Mark, in Mark's Gospel, everything happens immediately. It's like his favourite phrase, is kai euthos in the Greek, and immediately. And we'll see that in a moment where Matthew's lifted it out of Mark. Mark's Gospel, everything happens immediately. And in Mark's Gospel, it looks like when Jesus calls the disciples, it's the first time they've ever met him. It's like he's walking along, he says, come follow me. And they're like, right, okay. But we see from Matthew's Gospel that Jesus has been in Capernaum teaching for some time. Uh, Verse 13, leaving Nazareth, he went and lived in Capernaum, which was by the lake in the area of Zebulun and Naphtali. So, so Jesus has been in Capernaum for some time and it's not a big place. It's quite a small population. So, and Jesus is teaching and he's saying things that make people sit up and listen because he's saying things like, repent for the kingdom of heaven is near. Well, this is a community that have been waiting 400 years for the kingdom of heaven to draw near. They've been waiting 400 years since the time of Malachi, for the promise of the Messiah to be fulfilled, they're longing for the kingdom of God to come. And now Jesus pops up and says, Repent, turn around. So, we were, as um, Alan was sharing last Sunday, think about John the Baptist. That's the message. Repent. God is doing something, and you need to respond to it. The kingdom of God is coming, God's rule and reign is coming. You need to do something about that. And what you need to do is to turn your lives around, repent and face towards him. So people are asking this, starting to ask questions about, well, who is this Jesus? What is he like? One of the reasons that Jesus, um, you know, why does Jesus base himself in Capernaum? Well, because if you've got a message that, and you've got news that you want to travel... Capernaum's a great place to be because it's on the crossroads of two trading routes and there's constant traffic going backwards and forwards, north and south, east and west. So if there's a buzz about something in Capernaum, that buzz is going to travel far and wide and it can travel far and wide because the Romans have built very good roads. So when we read in the Gospels, when we read that Jesus came at the right time... Part of the reason it was the right time was because the Romans had built an empire and built roads. So you could get a message out very fast. Anyway, that's a little digression. Uh, The fact is, they're walking along the sea. They've heard something about Jesus. And Jesus goes and walks with them. Jesus goes and walks with them. Their their first real encounter with them is when they're doing what they normally do. I was thinking, um, I won't ask for a show of hands, but I was thinking, I wonder where we were when we first really encountered Jesus and really met with him. And I was thinking probably for most of us it was in some kind of church setting. Some kind of, probably some sort of church meeting or something that we've been invited to. Uh, And I was thinking, well, for for Simon and Andrew, they're, they're doing what they normally do. You know, they're fishing and Jesus comes and has a chat with them on the beach while they're doing what they, what they normally do. And uh, I just felt a challenge in my spirit So I was reading that thinking that so, so often we have this expectation that, that in order for people to meet Jesus, well, we need to get them into church. Whereas actually what we need to do is get the church out and into the places where people live. You know, that is the reason where, you know, some years ago where I... I, you know, joined the Bolney Players and where I started to volunteer at the cafe because I thought the only people I know are Christians. I need to, I want to share Jesus with people who don't, who don't know Him. I always have this expectation that people will come to the place where, where I'm comfortable and where I feel at home, where I know, you know, what it means and what's going on. And actually, I need to make myself uncomfortable in a way and, and just live my life alongside people who don't know Jesus because Simon and Andrew they've heard stuff about Jesus. Uh, he's got a reputation. There's a buzz about him. People are starting to be fascinated by him. But when they first really encounter him, it's because he goes to them where they are and has a chat with them. And they're doing what they, you know, what they do. They're casting a net into the lake for they were fishermen. And then Jesus says, he says, come, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. I'll make you fishers of people. So they've heard something about Jesus and then he meets them where they are, doing what they normally do. And then he says, uh, come, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. And, uh, and the, other, the thing I was thinking about as so I was reflecting on this was that, that sometimes we, we read this and we think, oh, we've all got to become fishers of people. Because Simon and Andrew were called to be fishers of people. So now we've all got to be fishers of people. And in a sense, yes, we've all got to make Jesus known. But the lovely thing about what Jesus does is he says, look, you've, you've got experience and skills in this area of life. What I want to do is repurpose those gifts and those skills and use them for my glory. He doesn't say, you know, see them fishing. He says, right, come, follow me and I'll make you farmers. Because they'd be like, well, we don't know anything about farming. What are you talking about? And I think sometimes we, we have this sense of, oh, well, if, if I follow Jesus, well, I've got to give up all the things that I love doing and all the things that I enjoy, and now I've got to live a really difficult life doing things that are unpleasant that I don't really enjoy doing. And it's not like that. Jesus is, the gifts that we have and the talents that we have are, are God-given. They're put in us. And what, what Jesus says to Simon and Andrew, he says, you are really good, you're really good at catching fish. You've got a set of skills and experience. What I want to do now, I want to repurpose those gifts and those skills. And I want to use those gifts in another area. I want to use those gifts to glorify me and to build the kingdom. And so we were, we were thinking a little a few weeks ago about well, what are, the, what are the gifts and the talents that God has given to us? What are the areas of expertise? Expertise that we have. Because what God wants to do is He calls us. Is he wants to repurpose those and use them for the kingdom of God. When I, when I was a kid at school, I was in, incredibly shy and unconfident and had no, you know, just no self-confidence at all. But I love being on stage. That was where I felt at, I felt at home being, front of, being in front of people pretending to be somebody else. Because I could be, I could I could pretend to be somebody else. That was okay. I didn't like being me, so um, so that was so i felt very at home in front of a crowd from a you know from an early age and uh, i could get up on stage and do all sorts of stupid things uh, and uh, and i think and god called me and he said okay you've you're good at doing that i want to take i want to repurpose i want to repurpose those gifts so that they're used for my glory uh, rather than for your own glory and that's what the Lord does. He sort of he comes alongside us and he meets with us and he calls us. And he calls us on a journey. And the lovely thing about Simon and Andrew is they don't really have a clue who Jesus is when they start off on this journey. That's why I love it when, when people who don't know Jesus enjoy being part of our chapel community and enjoy being with us on a Sunday and enjoy coming to the stuff that we do. Because Simon and Andrew, they were, they were fascinated by Jesus, but they didn't understand who he was didn't realise he was the Messiah. They didn't realise he was the son of God. They would think, well, is he a prophet? Is he, you know, he's obviously a good teacher. They don't really understand him. They, they find out who he is on the journey. And that's the journey for us as, as Christians and as a chapel community. We're all on this journey of following him. Come and follow me. I will make you fish the men. at once they left their nets and, uh, and followed him. So the, the challenge for us who, who are already on this journey is, well, how do, we, how do we get others involved in the journey? And the challenge for us is to know that God will take the gifts that he's given us, whatever they may be, and they're all different, he'll take them and use them and repurpose them and anoint them and bless them with his spirit and make them bigger than they are and use them for his glory and enable us to share Jesus where we are. So that's kind of one of the questions for us this morning is, is who are the people that we're meeting in our everyday lives? Who are the people that we work alongside? Who are the people that we, uh, we spend time with? And how can we introduce them to Jesus? How can we say something to them about the difference that Jesus has made in our lives? What are the opportunities that we have to say to someone well, who shares, well, can I pray with you? Can I pray for you? Or to think, well, you know, I've got this book. You might really enjoy reading this book that will just raise your interest in who Jesus is. It's kind of, that's the beginning of the... And that's why we do, you know, so much of what we do with our breakout groups and Top Street Tots and all of that. It's just trying to introduce Jesus so that people become fascinated, fascinated by him. Uh, and then they, they start this journey. They leave everything, they start to, to follow him and they just they watch what Jesus does that's why i included verses 23 to the end of the chapter because on this journey they see what Jesus does Jesus goes throughout Galilee teaching in their synagogues preaching the good news of the kingdom so they listen to Jesus and uh, and what Jesus teaches is so radical and it's it's really challenging and it's really you know it's really upsetting for people to hear it because it is so challenging again i was just reflecting that that so, so much of what the church seems to teach in our day just seems to be kind of comforting. And, and it's kind of, yeah, you know, you'll be all right, and, and it's okay. And, and so often what the church seems to teach is, is well, actually, you know, you'll be all right, and, and God is with you. And the people who heard Jesus were disturbed. You know, they were upset. They were like, this is hard, what you're asking us to do is really hard. This is, that's why at one point the disciples, you know, a lot of them turn back because they're like, we can't do this. This is too uncomfortable. This is too difficult. But that's, that's Jesus's, tea. yes, there's, there is real comfort in it because actually you find your true identity in relationship with Jesus. But it's challenging. It changes everything. Jesus turns everything upside down. And uh, that's why the message is repent you've got to change things you've got to turn things around and so they listen to preaching the good news of the kingdom yes it is good news but it's challenging because it's about a kingdom and it's about putting a different king on the throne you have to dethrone ourselves and put jesus on the throne we have to deny ourselves and take up our cross and follow him following jesus is not comfortable it is disturbing It will challenge us. It will make us change. That's what they listen to. Preaching the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease and sickness among the people. And so no wonder, verse 24, news about him spread all over Syria. People brought to him, all who were ill with various diseases. Uh, 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 Large crowds from Galilee, the Decapolis, Jerusalem, Judea and the region across Jordan followed him. So it's this lovely story of these two fishermen, probably teenagers, young guys, who they start to hear things about Jesus and then they have this encounter with him and he calls them. And because they've discovered something about him, they're like, okay, yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll follow you. And on the journey, they find out more and more about him and eventually they discover who he truly is, that he is the Messiah, that he is the son of God. But on the journey, they see what he does. They see him teach about the good news of the kingdom And they see the kingdom of God impacting people's lives. They see people being healed. And they join in with that. They join in with it. And they continue it. Which is why at the beginning of of Acts, Luke says in my first book, I write about all that Jesus began to do and to teach. Because Jesus hasn't finished. Even though he's ascended into heaven, he hasn't finished what he began to do and to teach. He's continuing it, but he's continuing it through, through the church. And that's the journey that, that, that we're on. And um, I am just going to say a little bit about, who so just mentioned uh, my dear friend, um, Paul Benison, who, uh, who just inspired me and so challenged me in, in kind of living this kind of lifestyle of, of following Jesus. Uh, some of you will remember Paul because he came and spoke at the, um, uh, the chapel a few times uh, Uh, back in the day and uh, he he worked in a bank his first job was in a bank he worked in a bank and then in in 1978 he felt God call him into sort of full-time ministry he was very involved with uh, Youth for Christ in the 70s and then was very involved with YWAM he went all over the world teaching in YWAM schools all over the world and um, 1978 he felt this call radically to follow Jesus so he sold his house and uh, used that money to go to Kingdom Faith and uh, did courses at Kingdom Faith. And then spent the next sort of 20, 30 years uh, travelling the world, teaching on YWAM schools. I think 115 different countries he, he, he went to. And the lovely thing about Paul was he just had this huge heart for people. And uh, one of my sort of abiding memories of him would have been him just sat next to someone with his arm around them, talking to them, and then praying with them. And uh, I did a number of trips with him to Columbia, and we'd, we'd, you know, we'd speak at a service, and then we'd offer to pray for people afterwards. And prayer ministry would go on for hours. They'd go on for like two or three hours, because he wasn't one who would just you know pray for someone and then move on. He would sit with someone for like 10 or 15 minutes and chat with them and and hear their story, and, and tell them about God's love, and put their arm around, them. and then he'd sort of pray for healing, and he wouldn't rush the prayer, and uh, you know, often we'd be praying late into the night, because he just wanted to spend time with people, but he read this, he read this stuff, and he thought, this is, this is what I should be doing, this is what I should be doing, this is how I should be living, telling people about the kingdom of God, and showing them what it looks like, and uh He so challenged me and so pushed me out of my comfort zone. And uh, I I know I've told this story before. I often remember the first time I went to to Colombia, I don't know, 10, 11 years ago or so. And um, I arrived exhausted, expecting to be picked up from the airport and taken to the apartment where we were staying and just, you know, having a nice meal and a nice sleep and recover from the journey and and then, you know, have a couple of days off and then start ministry. And I landed at the airport in in Cali and. And he texted and he said, oh, I've, I, haven't, I thought he was going to come and pick me up. He said, I'm not coming because uh, I'm already at a meeting. But I've, I'll, send, um, I'll send someone to get you. This lovely guy, Carlos, came and picked me up and took me to this meeting. And it was above a car showroom. That's where the church met. And uh, so I'm sort of brought into the middle of this meeting with my suitcase. And the suitcase is put down in a room. And then there, were, there was Paul and there was me. And there was another guy who'd come and his intern... And uh, this guy was preaching, so I thought, "Oh, I can just sit and I can just sit and relax, and he'll finish preaching, the service will finish, and then we'll go home." And uh, so I sort of sat there and I kind of zoned out, and then I heard him say, um, "And now we want to pray for you for healing." He's, and I said, "My team, me and my team, we're going to pray for you for healing." And I clocked, "Hang on a minute, he he means me, he means us." So, so I sort of shaken out of my reverie. And, um, and so the four of us are standing at the front of the stage and he's given this invitation if people want healing to come forward. And uh, in, in South America, when you ask people to come, for, everybody comes. They're, they don't have this sort of British reserve and cynicism. They're like, yep. So literally the whole church is there in four queues in front of us. And I'm standing there exhausted thinking, I don't know what to do. I've got nothing. I'm exhausted. And then I thought, "But this isn't about me. This is about Jesus. This is about Jesus. It's about what Jesus wants to reveal himself. And one of the ways that he reveals himself is through his kingdom breaking into people's lives. So we stood there and this queue formed in front of me and, and then one after the other. And there's a translator translating and people are presenting these these things. And I'm just praying, Jesus, just do do what you do. Do what you've always done. Just heal just you know whatever it is and just meet with these lovely folk and um and then we went back to the back to the apartment but i was i learned i just learned from paul how to do things differently and how to have an expectation that that god reveals his kingdom in these ways and we went back to the same church the following that was the saturday we went back on the wednesday and and people asked to come and give testimony and it was just so humbling that people came forward and gave testimony of how they'd been, not everyone, but lots of people were just dramatically healed and restored. And they were like, this is, this is Jesus. Uh, and I learned that from Paul. And I've always tried to hold on to that. Because so often my faith shrinks in the face of disbelief and, and the face of cynicism and the face of, well, what happens if nothing happens? So easy not to pray for healing. Because you think, well, what happens if nothing happens? That's not our responsibility. I remember um, a, a couple of a few years a couple of years after I've been first time in Italy, I was uh, speaking at a conference in Sweden. And I'll, there's a reason I'm going to tell you this story because I want to pray for offer to pray for healing after we've had communion. But um, inspired by Paul, I was uh, teaching at this conference in Sweden, and uh, and I was teaching on this stuff. And then we gave an invitation for people to come forward for prayer. And this lovely lady came forward. And, um, and she said, can we pray for my dad? He's in hospital. And I was like, oh. I no. Didn't, I didn't do the facial expressions, but I was like, no, oh, great. <laughs> I wanted, we want to see somebody healed here so everyone can see Jesus heal, And that will build our confidence. And now you want me to pray for someone who's not here? So this was all going on in my mind. What I did was much more sort of friendly. Like, yes, of course you're praying. So anyway, her dad was in hospital. Um, he'd had a heart attack. And he was very ill in hospital and his breathing was very poor. And he hadn't got out of hospital for, for days. And he was very poorly in hospital, in his hospital bed. Hadn't got out of bed, really struggling to breathe. Uh, so we prayed and we just prayed, Lord Jesus, would you, would you I forget his name, would you heal him? And, uh, and then she went off and sat down again and we, we prayed for some other people. And then she put her hand up and uh, she wanted to come out again. And so she came out and, uh, and she said... She'd gone back to her seat after we prayed and she said, I was sat there, I said, my dad rang from hospital to tell me that he'd just got out of bed for the first time in several weeks and he was, his breathing was, was much improved. And uh, it was just very lovely that he wasn't there, but she came forward and we prayed for him through her and Jesus healed him anyway. Uh, which is just, I love that Jesus, he surprises us and he does things that we don't expect, but it's, it's our willingness to be like him. It's our willingness to be like him and to go and meet people where they are in their places of work and in their places of entertainment and their places of relaxation and to share Jesus with them, to share his love, to share his teaching about the good news of the kingdom, but also to introduce him to them through through miracles and through praying for healing and allowing jesus to do whatever he wants to do and as we often often say we live with miracle and mystery and sometimes we see the miracle and sometimes we're left with the mystery and that's that's god's responsibility our responsibility is to be like simon and andrew who met this guy who changed their lives and he began a journey with him that took them to extraordinary places and in the end cost them their lives and are we willing to be those people who are so impacted by the life of Jesus that that's what we that's what we go and do, and we do it all for Him, and we do it all for His glory? So let's pray for. A